Hi, welcome to the Bridge Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following message. For more information on all that's happening at the Bridge Church, please visit www.bridge-church.com. This morning, we're going to be talking about the parable of the wedding feast. I've enjoyed getting ready for this. Um, enjoyed reading up on today's message because I'm kind of loving the parables. Um, there's humor in them. You know, there's irony. There's drama. Uh, parables have got everything. And if we just meditate on them and we get the mental picture of what's going on, the parables are enjoyable. Amen. So I hope today's parable is going to allow the mental pictures just to flow in your spirit, in your mind of what's going on here. And we're in Luke 14, by the way, if anyone's got their Bibles. Um, And it's good timing because, you know what, we're coming into wedding season in Scotland. Now, people, people get married all year round. Of course they do. Nothing wrong with a winter wedding. But this is the wedding season. People, spring, summer, we want to get married in spring. The weather will be nice, hopefully. Um, the sun will be shining. The day will be longer. The guests will, will have a better, better time. I think in Scotland, people have a good time, doesn't it matter? It can be snowing and hailing stones outside and still have a good time. But you know what I'm saying. And so people are aiming for a summer wedding. So, you know, um, we think about this particular parable. There's actually a couple of parables here that kind of go, uh, flow one into the other. But Jesus is using the example of a wedding feast. And so, you know... We can identify with that, can't we? We've all been to a wedding. Amen. Or had a wedding. Amen. So the context, I want to put it into a wee bit of context this morning. So in Luke chapter 14 from verse 1, right? So it's the Sabbath. And Jesus has been invited for a Sabbath meal at the home of one of the ruling Pharisees. In fact, the word says that this was the chief, the chief Pharisee. So he is one of the most senior Pharisees. And the Pharisees, I think you've heard us talk about them before, they were legalistic observers of the law. So they were, they were strict observers of the Sabbath day. They were totally bound up in the Old Testament laws of the Sabbath. And at New Focus, I think we, some of us were talking about that because one of the ladies that comes has a a Jewish friend and the laws run into dozens and dozens of laws, the what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. And there's more can'ts than what you can do. And so they're numerous and they're extremely strict. So Get the picture here. Jesus didn't gate crash this party. Okay, he was, he was a legitimate guest. He didn't, he didn't barge in. He didn't force himself into the situation. He has been invited, okay? He had a way of being invited all, all over the place. He was, he was at all the parties. He was at all, he was at all the parties. Isn't that something? Amen. So, and he's at this 
meal or feast and he's being watched he's being watched very closely and the chapter tells us that this opportunity of a meal at this pharisee's home is there's an aside angle on it there's essentially an opportunity to trap jesus okay and they're looking for ammunition to use against jesus so they can imagine they're watching him very very closely now jesus he's got a track record of doing stuff on the sabbath <laughs> he's like do you know what it's almost like party gate he's been to all this, the parties on the sabbath you know he's so he's he's got a track record of healing people on the sabbath not just once, but I think five times in the gospel, he's like, ah, you're healing someone again. What do you think, what do you think you're doing healing somebody on the Sabbath? And so he'd already healed the man with the withered hand and the woman with the um, spirit of infirmity for 18 years, eh? 18 years, the spirit of infirmity then comes into contact with Jesus on the Sabbath and she's healed. And He's in this place and all the eyes are on him. And it occurred to me that the more Jesus, what was Jesus here for? What was he on earth for? To carry out the will of his father. That, that's why he was here. He was, he's here because Father God, you sent me and I'm here to do your will. No matter what happens, I'm here to do your will. And it occurred to me that the more Jesus achieved the will of the Father, the more, the greater the accusations came against him. Amen. The greater the strength of accusation came against him. Until, of course, you know, we just had our Easter weekend last weekend. The, 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 the resentment and the anger was at fever pitch. The people could not wait to get rid of this man. Okay. In Psalm 37, 32, there's a verse there. It says, the wicked watch the righteous and seek to slay them. So it just backs it up. There's always somebody watching a righteous person because they're, they're looking for some way of taking you down a peg or two. Isn't that right? And um, just a, a, a small side trail, accusations are a death sentence. Accusations are a death sentence. You know, I was thinking about this. The folk that were all standing there ready to stone the woman that was caught in adultery, Jesus banished them all from there. They were there making accusations. They had made the accusation against this woman. What did Jesus, Jesus says to the woman? Look up. Where are all your accusers now? All of your accusers have gone so, and accusations are a death sentence. As, as Christians and as the church, we need to really realize that because the church, the church is rife with accusations. And I'm not saying that accusations are always false. There are many things that are true, but there are many more that are false. And the word tells us that Satan is the accuser in the midst of the brethren so he delights in coming into a fellowship and causing accusations to spread, okay? So anyway, here's Jesus. He's in the midst of these people. All eyes are on him. And I also thought he was invited 
yet they're all, they all have an angle on what's going to happen. Realize this, not every invitation is a friendly one. Not every invitation is a friendly invitation. Um, and I, I've, you know, in, in years and years ago when um, we were in business and we were trading earth-moving equipment and plant around the world had invitations to go to various places. And sometimes you just feel, mm, I don't think I should go there. You know, so, you know, even then. So not every invitation is a friendly one. The only invitation that people really need to heed is an invitation into the kingdom of God. And that, that, is, the, that, is, the, that is the invitation. That's our work, okay? So anyway, here's Jesus. And a man, is, there's a man before him with a condition of dropsy. And I'd never heard of that word before. It must be an old medical term. But basically what it is, it's swelling fluid, retention of fluid to all the cavities and the, the tissues of the body. So here's this man. You can imagine what he might look like. And um, Jesus asked the wise men, the Pharisees, and everyone there, is it lawful to heal somebody on the Sabbath day? So here's a good one. He's asking the lawyers what the law is. So these men were religious lawyers. And he's like, well, I'm going to ask, you know the law so well, I'm going to ask you what the, what the law is. So he says, is it lawful to heal someone on the Sabbath day? I found it quite revealing that they, they held their silence. They couldn't, they couldn't answer. They couldn't reply. It didn't say they wouldn't reply. It actually said they had no ability to reply. They had no ability to apply. They were, in the face of what Jesus had said, they were powerless to resist what he said, to confront what he said. Anyway, Jesus heals the man, and off the man goes. Imagine that. Jesus has made his first point. He's been invited here, and it's um, strike one for Jesus. He's made his first point. And he says to them, wouldn't any of you, if you had, some translations say, if you had an ox or a donkey and they fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't you go and pull them out? Because you're the owner and they're precious to you. And if a father had a son and a son fell down a well, would the father not go and, no, it's the Sabbath. Hey, son, it's the Sabbath. I'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> I say, you're going to get your son out of the well. You're going to help somebody who's in danger, amen? No matter what the, time, what the time is. So here he is, and remember, Jesus has been saying already that identifying himself as the son of God. So the, he's really incensed this situation at this meal, okay? So... By doing what he did, I believe he's like prepared the room for what's to come. You know how it's like a set the scene? It's like Jesus, wherever he went, he's like, I'm going to set the scene here. Um, it was amazing. Um, on the TV last week, there was an old movie called King of Kings. Uh, old movie. Color, but old. And um, I was amazed because Jesus is walking around. It's a Sermon on the Mount, and he's walking around the hills there. And there's people all over the place. There's people like hundreds of yards away. 
And it seems as if no matter who was in his vicinity, they heard what he said. Somehow they all heard him. And he's walking around, although he's wandering around and he's talking the Sermon on the Mount. This is the way they portrayed it anyway. So he's setting the scene. And, you know, the anointing, because Christ is the anointed one. And what happens when the anointing is in a place? The anointing produces an atmosphere for miracles to happen. So when there's the anointing, that's why it's so important. You know, our praise, our worship, everything from, the, from 11 a.m., actually from before 11 a.m., the people that pray for the service, the people that come ready with expectation, the more we do that as a family, as a church family, the more the anointing will fall. And then we will see powerful signs and wonders in the church, in the church, when we're all here together. Amen. And so he's already performed this miracle. He's got the attention of the room and shortly he's going to rebuke them all with a parable. So they're all ears. So with that setting the scene, let's go on. Go to Luke chapter 14, verse 7. Luke chapter 14, verse 7. And I'll read it through quickly from the Amplified Translation. And it says, Now Jesus began telling a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been selecting the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down to eat at the place of honor, since a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by the host. So in other words, someone who has, is more reputable than you may also be coming. And he who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your place, and then in disgrace, the walk of shame. In disgrace, you proceed to take the last place. But when you're invited, go and sit down to eat at the last place so that when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, come, move up higher. Don't sit here. I've got a place for you at the top of the table or up, you fall, you come with me. And then you will be honored in the presence of all who are at the table with you. For anyone, sorry, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled before others. You know, um, private humiliation is one thing, but public humiliation is entirely another. And he who habitually humbles himself, this is awesome in the Amplified Bible, it says, he who habitually humbles himself or keeps a realistic self-view will be exalted. Amen? So, I got such a lot out of just that short passage. And it, it took me back to times in my life when I, you know, I would jostle to try and, yeah, I want to be where it's happening. Yeah, I want to be, be here. I think I should be here. And age and wisdom have taught me to be content. Just, and I'm sure with you as well, to be content where you're going to be, where you're going to be positioned. It's not up to me. God, God is the one who positions us. Yes. Eh? For, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. You know, when I studied that word humbled, actually one of the, one of the, the, the synonyms for it or other meanings is depressed. 
You'll be humiliated and depressed. And I thought, wow, I'm looking into this a little bit more. I'm going to research this. A spirit of depression being pressed down. Is there a connection here some, somewhere? That trying to fulfill a position that you're not designed for equals your yoke will be heavy. But being the occupier of a position wherein God has placed you equals the yoke becomes light. So, I believe depression, there's a link there to, to our position and how we, what we, how can I put this? If we strive for position, not everything works out the way we want it to. But being out of position, I believe, leads to depressed Christians. And that's an anomaly, right? Must be a depressed Christian. I can't see depression being able to have a hold over a Christian who submitted his will and his ways to the Lord because then you're content. So why are you going to get depressed? I know that there are things that, that are heavy that weigh us down, but there's some people that live in a continual state of depression, deep depression. Amen. So carrying on, verse 12, Jesus also went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or wealthy neighbors. Otherwise, they may also invite you in return and that will be your repayment. But when you give a banquet or a reception, invite the poor, the disabled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they can't repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So, you will be blessed. Invite the poor. You will be blessed. The Greek word for that is makarios. You'll be well off. You'll be fortunate. You'll be happy. And you'll be blessed. I always kind of think, do you know what, sometimes, with, you know, Social situations, you're invited here, I better invite them back. You know, it's like, this cancels out that. I better do this. Oh, come on. You know, social wrangling. You know, when we do something without any expectation of a return, we're happy. So we do stuff and we don't expect a return. Praise God. Because... There's a reward ahead of us. Amen. 15. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, blessed, happy, prosperous, and to be admired is he who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So what essentially is the purpose of this parable? I believe the parable is rebuking pride. It's talking about humility. It's a reminder to be aware of our positioning. You know, I once heard, a, a, this is a great saying, it's, it's better to be raised up than to rise up. I believe scripture supports that. God even raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus, it was, 
God is the power of God the Father that raised Jesus from the dead. And that remember at the beginning when I said, remember the scripture, the Lord raised him up. God raises people up. The rising up, okay, the rising up that I'm talking about is the desire to fulfill our own will and desire and not let God have his way. That's the rising up I'm talking about. So I'm going to rise up, going to do what I like. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, it's the, the will of David as, as opposed to the will of God. Jesus could have risen up, but his father raised, raised him up. Amen. So there's a sense that when people rise up, sometimes there's a hostile, there's a hostility in the rising up. It's, and that comes from within ourselves. And I guess to really focus the thoughts, it's rebelliousness. I'm going to rise up. Now, then there's, so there's a negativity to this type of rising up. But then there's the, there's the raising up, which gives rise to rising up in the power and strength of God Almighty. That's See, that's, that's the difference. Now, that's the kind of strength that King David rose up in to go to battle. He was incensed. He's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that stands before me? Who, who would dare mock the armies of the Almighty God? Who would, and he, he, was, he was angry righteously angry, and he rose up in the strength of the Lord. He didn't rise up out of his anger. He, God channeled all of that within him to defeat a man who was nine feet tall and had a spear that Lewis couldn't even lift up. <laughs> you know, it's, that's the strength that's rising up in the strength, in that kind of strength. That was the strength that enabled David to engage in warfare and see a victory. Amen. That was the strength that he had. So the, this parable tells me, don't, let, don't let's be so concerned with our position, our status. Leave it to God. He will set us, or better put, he will seat us where he would have us be. And scripture backs it up. I want you, if you've got your Bibles, go to James 4, verse 10. James 4, verse 10. Back in the 80s and 90s, you would have to pause and you'd hear pages going like mad. <laughs> now you just hear. It's like, bring the pages back, come on. Bring the pages, bring the pages back. Old school. Humble yourselves. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 to 6. This is awesome. I'm saying awesome in the sense it's proper scripturally awesome. Likewise, you younger people, Submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed 
with humility, for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Amen. So the, 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 the raising up, the setting, the seating, you know, it's like uh, if you go to a Scottish wedding, probably any wedding, and you, everyone's milling around, and then there's the seating plan. You're like, everyone's having a fly peek at the seating plan. Who's, who, who, who have they put me, who have they put us next to? Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of stuff going on, you know, the seating, the seating plan. Um, do you know the, 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 the incredible thing is you probably end up sitting next to someone that God has like divinely appointed that for you to sit next to someone who's like, and you are, uh, I am so-and-so, and you begin to talk and yeah. So, you know, don't get too drunk at weddings. Proverbs 15:33 The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom and before honor is humility. Oh, I want to be the at the honorable place. I am a man of honor. But before honor is humility. Proverbs 29:23 says a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain their honor. So humility is a key in, in keeping your honor. And on, being honorable is so important. If the world had honorable leaders, honorable men of integrity, what a difference this world would, what a difference they would make in this world. Because it seems to be more about status seems to be a lot of us are striving for status. And you know that hymn we sing, where fears are still and striving cease. I think that's one of the strivings, status. I want, I want status. I want recognition. I want people to know me. And I've had so many embarrassing moments in my life where I've sought recognition, but my motives have been poor. And my pride has caused me shame. And my mouth has brought shame to me. And I'm talking the kind of shame that leaves the back of your neck burning hot. Do you know that kind of shame? That the back of your neck is glowing red. That you feel a heat in your body. You're so ashamed of the way that you have behaved. But when we just get that kingdom mentality, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And we value being servants. We value service more than status. And we understand that we will have a reward. It's maybe not when we want it, but you'll have it when it matters the most. You'll have your reward when it matters the most. Amen. What isn't recognized now will be recognized later. Yeah, and 
I'm sorry to always use myself as an example, but I need more of you to tell me your personal testimonies so that I also can say, yeah, I know, I, I know that you or you or so-and-so has, has been through this, but, you know, I know what it's like to want to force recognition. You know, do you know what? I achieved this. Now, there's nothing wrong with sharing your achievements. That's healthy. I'm glad my son or my daughter would come to me and say, Dad, look what I did. But it's the motives of the heart. It's forcing that recognition of, of an achievement. Proverbs 27 verse 2 says, Let another praise you and not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. Let's let another praise you, not your own mouth. And you know, there's so many things going on these days. Life um, gurus, and I was talking to John in the car park about, you know, people are chasing gurus and mantras and things like that. And, and, and I have to say, I understand, you know, if you heard that, that thing, live your best life now. And I kind of understand, understand. I think I understand what it means. You can live a blessed life. You can live a good life. But our best life is ahead of us. Everyone wants to live their best life now, but our best life is in eternity. Our best life is ahead of us. <laughs> so, uh, uh, okay, reset. You know, our best life, and we're all striving to live our best life now. And for some people, that means having thousands of likes and. And, and all of the stuff that goes on today to affirm and to give, to give people security and affirmation. And, and I just, I, I just, I just, I, I just really am so, I lament at seeing what it's doing to people. So in 16, verse 16, it says, but Jesus said to him, but coming to a close, a man was giving a big dinner. He invited many desks, many desks, no, he didn't. He invited many guests. <laughs> and at the dinner hour, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, everything's ready now. We're going to get started. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a bit of land and I have to go and see it. So please excuse me. Another one said, I've purchased five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. So please excuse me. And another one said, I've recently married a wife and for that reason, I am unable to come ever again. <laughs> and no, I added, I added that in. <laughs> no, I am unable to come. <laughs> So, <laughs> so, praise God. So the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then his master, the head of the household, became angry at the rejections of his invitation and said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the disabled and the blind and the lame. And the servant, after returning, said, sir, what you've commanded has been done, but there's still room. 
Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled with guests. For I tell you, not one of those who were invited and who declined my invitation will come to this dinner. We've been invited by God to a wedding feast. He's prepared it for us. But many people are going to decline. They're going to reject it. They're going to shun it. They're going to avoid the invitation. And we've all done it in some different areas of life using feeble and weak excuses. And I think forward and I think, God have mercy on me one day. My, me trying to justify my excuses is never going to cut it. And, and, and on, on, when, it, when it's time to be accountable to God, especially for those who've rejected the invitation of salvation, the reality of the weaknesses of the reasoning and the excuses behind saying no to coming into the greatest family that exists, God's family, the, rea the, reali the, the reality bite of that will be just immense. The parable says the king gets exasperated. He gets angry because the king's provided his first and his best. He's given, he's, he's, he's given his first, he's given his best, and it's declined. And thank God for us. Because of that, he makes a, a, a place for the people that in the world's eyes are undesirable. The undesirables. Yes. The undesirables. Yes. You know, I think about that. I think about God's own people. I think about Israel, the Jewish people. Their rejection of Christ opened up the way for us. Their, 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 their rejection opened up the way for the Gentiles to be, say, to be invited. Amen? You know, one day, many will not be able to comprehend why they've refused the invitation to come to the greatest feast of all time. Amen? The, the Jewish people, the nation of, of Israel, their opportunity to identify with Jesus Christ as their Messiah had a huge bearing on the future of the Jewish nation and on us. Do you believe that? They're still a determined people. We also talked about this at New Focus on Tuesday night. They're still a determined people. They're passionately attached to their national identity, just like the Ukrainians at the moment. They fight because they realize that in defense of their freedom, the na their nation, Ukraine is everything. The Jews are the same. The, 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 the Bible tells us to pray for peace in Jerusalem. God's not done with Israel yet. God is not done with his people yet, but we get, the, we get a seat at the table. We get a seat at the table. We care about our country. We care about the Scots people. And everyone who lives in Scotland from every walk of life, nation, background, faith. Yeah? 
But as a Gentile, as Christians, we, we didn't deserve a seat at the table. But now we have one. And we should be passionately attached to the kingdom. That's where our identity is. And that's where our true allegiance should be. Amen. God's not going to force. God is not. God, see the people that were invited. Did God go and force them to come? He didn't force them to come. The invitation went out. But in Luke 14, 23, it's saying, we must now go out and compel people to come. The word compel is a great word. And it's in Greek, it's anagkazo. Anagkazo. Not to force them to Christianity, but to persuade them. Not to force them, because forcing them will backfire. We all know, we've all got family members, we've all got friends, we've, we all know people. We all know the, the story, don't we? But to persuade them, persuade them, how powerful though should that persuasion be? Well, anakazo means to constrain you might not like me for this, by threat, entreaty, force, or persuasion. Now listen, you can threaten someone, you're still not forcing them, right? <laughs> How powerful should the persuasion be? It should be urgent. It, should be pass it shouldn't be passive, but it should be passionate. And it should go forth because a date has been set for a feast. And God gave us his best. And we've all been invited. And he wants other people to be invited as well. He wants us to make room for people who don't think they deserve a seat at the table. Amen? Amen. Praise God. That's what he wants. He wants us to make room for people who think they don't deserve a seat at the table. Amen? And sometimes... We defer to one another. Maybe we have to move down a couple of chairs to open some up. Isn't it? God's, God's, God's kingdom's upside down to ours. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our website, www.bridge-church.com and connect with us via Facebook and Twitter.